welcome to Bloody Mary. Uh, <laughs> a queer, queer horror podcast. Um, this episode, we're talking about Candyman. Um, I am a stream that can't quite be stifled, Alex. And I'm the painting whose eyes follow you around the room, Sean. Um, and a uh, content note, as always, um, we're going to be swearing a lot. Um, there's also, obviously, death and gruesomeness. Um, and a little bit of racism. Uh, not from us, obviously. Um, also, obviously, it is spoiler-filled. So, if you haven't seen the film, then you definitely should. And, uh, that's it. So Candyman came out in 1992, and it was described as a slasher, although I'm not sure that's enough. But um, it was based on a short story from 1985 called The Forbidden, uh, which was written by queer legend Clive Barker, who also wrote the source material for Hellraiser. Uh, There were two sequels from the film in 1995 and 1999, which was subtitled Farewell to the Flesh and Day of the Dead, respectively. Um, and there's a new sequel to the first one, uh, which, uh, is produced by Jordan Peele, who's the writer and director of Get Out and Us, and also the producer and host of the new Twilight Zone, and that's due out in September 2020. Fun. Um, which is fun. Um, the 1992 film was written and directed by Bernard Rose. So Clive Barker is English, and the original story, uh, was about, was set in Liverpool, and was about the British class system in the 1980s in Liverpool. Ah. Um, but Bernard Rose moved it to a Chicago public housing development called the Cabrini Green Home, uh, and it plays on issues of both class and race. Um, the housing project was chosen for its high violent crime rate and its poor construction. Um, Rose, the director, wanted to avoid portrayals of poor black people as just being kind of gang members. Um, and instead emphasised them as people just trying to live their lives. Um, This all sounds well-intentioned, but perhaps the most problematic part of this story is the inspiration uh, for the murdered resident, Ruthie Jean, who we'll talk about. Um, The inspiration is basically a story that's almost identical to that. So five years before the film um, was released, a resident of a different Chicago housing project called Ruth May, oh. Ruth May McCoy, uh, was murdered by two men who entered her apartment through the bathroom cabinet and shot her four times. Police ignored 911 calls from her, um, just noting it as a dispute between neighbours, uh, and the next day tried to get in with a spare key but left when it wouldn't open, and it was the following evening when they eventually broke down the door and found her dead. Um, The two men were charged, but the charges were dropped, and the victim's daughter sued the Chicago Housing Authority in 1988 uh, because of the fact that they were able to get into the apartment so easily through the bathroom window, uh, bathroom mirror, rather. So the parallels between that and the original story that's referenced is, like, almost exactly the same. They use the same name, um, or a very similar name, Ruthie Jean and Ruth May, um, and this was, like, five years later after it happened... Um, it's, it's very exploitative and in really poor taste. But also very lazy. Like you think they'd try and just create a new story. Like, At least change a name. Like, like pretend you're not. <laughs> I, I think actually that um, Marie, who's like one of the main characters, I think her said it. It is. McCoy. It's McCoy. Yeah, yeah I know. It's really really poor taste. Um, so originally they wanted Eddie Murphy to play uh, the Candyman, which I think would have been a very different film. Wow, um, I don't think I've ever seen him do anything serious. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure I have. Um, They couldn't afford him, so they went with Tony Todd, uh, which I think was a better choice. Um, He was six foot, or is six foot five, um, so he's got quite an imposing presence, and he's also got kind of like a quite an angelic face as well. Like he's quite beautiful. Yeah. Um, He was very anxious about bee stings. Um, (laughs) I thought you were saying bee sting. Yes, he was quite anxious about the uh, the bee sting, (laughs) just beasting around. (laughs) He was anxious about. Getting, receiving stings from the bees. Um, And uh, he he, uh, negotiated a fee 
uh, a bonus fee for each of the stings that he got of a thousand dollars, and he got twenty three stings. Whoa, you think uh, you just try and yeah? I know. I, I'd be like, piece. don't be shy, sting some more. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the bee handler on set uh, worked on two other films that came out the year before: oh. um, Fried Green Tomatoes. I don't remember a bee scene in that. I don't remember that either. But also, My Girl, an iconic bee an ic- story. An iconic bee story, perhaps the most. <laughs> Like alongside yeah. Candyman, the most iconic. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, Virginia Madsen, who plays Helen, right? Um, who is the main character? Yes. Um, she was allergic to bees. Um, oh. So during the scene with the mouth, kissy, mouth bees, kissy mouth bees. Please welcome to the stage, <laughs> <laughs> kissy mouth bees. Woo! <laughs> um, they were uh, freshly hatched, non-stinging bees. Oh. Uh, so that, um, the um, so when the film was being made, uh, the producers were very concerned about the way that black people were being portrayed. Sure, um, especially because, well, I mean, maybe not especially because it's, but from what I can see, the director was white. It was written by a white person, and the main character you kind of see, you kind of experience it through the eyes of a white woman. Yes. Um, so uh, he met uh, Rose met with the NAACP uh, multiple times uh, to see if they kind of approved of it, and they were just like, "I don't know why you're running this past us. It's fine. It's a fun film, and why can't a black man be the the kind of the gruesome yeah. kind of Freddy Krueger figure?" Yeah, um, that totally reminds me of obviously when it too came out and they were kind of like the killing of the gays and people were like up in arms about the homophobia and it's like ridiculous because it's like <laughs> you don't want equal deaths in films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you didn't seem bothered when he was killing children. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so a New York Times review uh, said that the film had unusually high interest in social issues. Uh, but a review from the Los Angeles Times called it Clive Barker's worst film to date, oh. which I think is unfair, given that this was after Hellraiser 1 and 2. Mm. And, like, I enjoy them, but this is a better film. Like, it this is, is objectively better. a better film. It is. Um, so that's that. Shall we uh, have a little recap about what happened in the film? So the film begins with two characters uh, who only appear in the first film, uh, first scene, that's easy for me to say, in the, they also only appear in the first film, uh, but they mainly appear in the first oh. scene, um, and they're having a little bit of sexy foreplay in front of the mirror. Oh, uh, the, yes, the woman's in a little bra, and the man's in like a, a leather jacket, Yeah. Um, and he's doing all touchy boobies, and she's like, have you ever heard of the, the legend of Candyman? And then uh, yeah. she says that you have to say it five times in a mirror, and he appears with a hook in his hand and kills you. Yeah. So they decide to play. <laughs> well, yeah, it's weird. She seems like she's being turned on by the like Candyman foreplay. It's just like say it, say it, <laughs> and also wiggle my boobs. <laughs> so they say it four times. Then he stops. Yeah. And he leaves, and she's like, nobody ever gets to the fifth one, or something like that. Mm. And then she says it one last time in the mirror while he's sat down watching TV or something, and then switches the light off, you see a quick flash of Candyman behind, then it shows you his the, the partner's reaction downstairs. He hears the scream, and then, like, blood dribbles through the roof. Yeah. Um, so it's, and... you don't see the death, but it's more than implied. Um, so then... That kind of just establishes who Candyman is, and then we meet Helen Lyle. Yeah, so she's interviewing someone who's telling this story, who says it happens to someone that she knew, or like a cousin or something, and it's establishing the kind of, like, the fact that she's researching this Candyman sort of story. Um, And also the kind of the nature of, like, uh, the way that these kind of folklores pass from person to person. You you tend to only ever hear it like, oh, a friend of a friend of someone told me this. Um... So Helen Lyle and her friend Bernadette Walsh are both graduate students um, and they're both interested in urban legends and specifically in the way that they kind of, um, they take on a role in a community to kind of explain or kind of make sense of trauma in Mm. some way. Um, And her boyfriend or husband, boyfriend, husband, Husband, uh, Trevor is 
is it Trevor? It is Trevor. Is a <laughs> professor at the university, um, also looking at. He teaches he, the course or something. Yeah, he teaches like uh, to do with like kind of urban folklore. Sort yeah, of he stuff. talks about the alligators in the sewers as a thing. Um, yeah. It kind of reminds me of the scene. Oh, maybe I've invented this, actually. You know the film Urban Legend? Oh, yeah. There's a scene where they're in a lecture theatre and they're talking about urban legends, and one of them is talking about the dropping a mento in a Coke. Right. And how it it's... if Oh, if you drink it... You'll it, explode. Yeah. And one of them tries it and then, like, pretends oh. to... Ex- I don't know if that is from that film, but I'm pretty sure it is. It rings a bell. Anyway, that's not in Candyman. <laughs> um, we, we can confirm that. Um... So, uh, yeah, so they're really interested in this story. And this story is, like, especially, like, localised as well around this housing project in Chicago, which is called the Cabrini Green Housing Project. Um, But I think they only find that out from the cleaner um, because she's talking about Candyman. Like, I think uh, maybe she's transcribing the tape. um, Oh, yeah. um, And the cleaner is in the room and overhears. And it's just like, oh, are you talking about Candyman? Like... Um, and she's a black cleaner, and then she calls for her friend down the corridor, who's also black. So we should say, actually, that Helen Lyle is a white woman. Yes. Her friend Bernadette is mixed race or black. Yeah. Um, and then the two cleaning ladies are black women, both, or one of them lives in the Green Green projects. Yeah, I think so. Um, and so, um, she finds out, yeah, she finds out then about the story. About Ruthie Jean. Yes. Um... So, uh, once she's heard of this story, she also finds out about 25 other people who were murdered in similar circumstances, kind of in that local area. Yeah. And this is when she comes up with hypothesis that it's about these people who live in, like, kind of notorious... It's like a notoriously grim housing estate. Yes. uh, Where... um, and, And their way of dealing with the kind of hardships of their life is to kind of put it on this kind of folkloric figure. Yeah. Correct, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they, Helen and Bernadette are at Helen's house in her apartment. Right. And they decide to do, uh, I was going to say Bloody Mary, Candyman in the mirror five times. Oh, yeah, they do. And they do it, but nothing happens. Yeah, but I mean, I guess uh, he appears a lot later. He does. Not, well, actually for both of them. Um but, um, but... Yeah, it's, it's not it's immediate. A, it, yeah, it's a delayed response. Um, but he was obviously busy. Yeah, I'll come back. I'm killing other people right now. <laughs> um, but also you see her, like, apartment, which is, like, stunning. And it's, like, got views across, like, the whole of the city. And she can see the Cabrini Green housing block. Yes. And um, it used to be... That used to be a housing project as well, but it's been... Yeah, she realises that they base the same sort of design, um, and so oh, that's yes, when she is. discovers that you can go through the bathroom mirror into the other property. Um, and this is the bit where it's leaning heavily on that real story that happened, because... Yeah. So the, uh, the housing association was... Uh, was sued because of the construction that meant that the walls were so thin between the apartments that you could actually break through the, yeah. the cabinet mirror. I mean, it's, like, crazy. Like, it probably wasn't this extreme, but in hers, it was as she just, like, pushes it with her hands. Yeah. <laughs> it just, like, pops out the other side. Um, yeah. And and, she, and this is also part of her theory that the Candyman isn't real. She was actually... Yes. That Ruthie Jean was just murdered by someone who broke through... Um, the mirror hole. The mirror hole. <laughs> but then it's really funny as well. She just like pops out and she's like, "Oh well," pops the mirror back as if she's not going to do anything about it. It's just like, I guess murder doesn't happen to white people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in our lovely gentrified version of their flats. Um, so they, the pair of them, visit the housing block to do a bit of research, yes. take some pictures. Um, Bernadette is a little bit anxious about this. Helen feels very kind of entitled just to barge in and take pictures. Yeah, and um, I think this is where we see an element of, like, she's speaking, like, about the crime, like Bernadette is speaking about the crime and how she's so nervous and so scared. Um, And I think it's sort of like they've given those lines to the black woman so that it feels less racist. Um, Yeah, and also she's given... Bernadette is the compassionate one as well, in that she's like, a woman's being killed here, we shouldn't be going through this apartment sort of thing. And she's also more aware of how they're going to be received when they arrive there, because when they're driving there, she's like, 
why did you say to dress formal? Like, we look like we're the police. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and they do say when they arrive, there's some uh, some youths hanging around who are just like, oh, it's the police. And they shout up, uh, you know, look um, out the police. And yeah, Helen actually enjoys that. She's like, yeah, they think we're police. So they're not going to bother us, actually. So <laughs> maybe that was her plan, actually. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Um, but yeah, she also doesn't seem to have any qualms about the kind of voyeuristic nature of what they're doing because, like... A, a poor woman was murdered in this house. Yeah, <laughs> regardless like, of whether you believe in the folklore or not, like yeah, she's just like, oh, this is interesting. Taking little pictures of everything. <laughs> so the the next door neighbor is uh, oh god, I've forgotten her name, Anna Marie McCoy. Yeah, um, and she has a quite an aggressive dog, dog. Um, who barks at them as they pass, and then they they go into the uh, into the the apartment, which is now. Empty and covered in graffiti, yeah, and kind of all smashed up. Um, and she's going around taking pictures. Bernadette kind of refuses to go too deep into it. Yeah, like she's she's like, oh, this seems like disrespectful and inappropriate. Um, but actually, hilariously at this point, like uh, when Helen's bursting in all over the place, uh, she goes, "Helen, be careful! There could be somebody in the toilet." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sorry, just doing a poo. <laughs> Occupado. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's nobody doing a poo. <laughs> um, the, um, yeah, so uh, she goes deeper in and she goes into, uh, she kind of climbs through this hole. Through the mirror hole. Yeah, which has got, on the reverse of it, it's got uh, like a big mural painted on the wall that's like the candy man's kind of wide open mouth. Yeah, it's quite and the iconic. hole is the mouth. It's kind of iconic scene that she's seeing her clambering out through his mouth. Essentially, it looks really cool. Um, but by the time she's got in here, she her camera's run out of film. Yeah, because she's like snapping five hundred pictures on a film camera, and then she's like surprised when it runs out. And <laughs> like, oh, oops! Yeah, so she basically misses the photographic opportunity of the most yeah. worthwhile bit of being and I think this is obviously like just a sort of lazy sort of like um, tool to get her a reason to go back essentially yeah oh for sure like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Anne-Marie the neighbour kind of confronts them and mm. is a bit like you know what the hell are you doing sort of thing and yeah. she they kind of go round to their house and like we, we really want to talk to you about this um, and again, Helen's not very sympathetic about the fact that it's her neighbour who was murdered and she was kind of a witness to it and stuff. Yeah. Um, but Bernadette's a bit more sympathetic. Um, so she has a small baby son called Anthony? Uh, yes. So apparently in the Jordan Peele version that's coming out this year, it's gonna the main character is Anthony as a grown-up adult. Oh. Um, I just watched the trailer, actually. It looks very good. Oh, I didn't um, But he's only producing it, not directing it. Oh, no. But I think, I don't know if he wrote it, but um, but yeah, looks good. Um, the, yeah, so they, they speak to her. She talks about how, um, when Ruthie Jean was killed, a few people heard the noise, heard disturbances, rang 911 and the police just weren't interested. They thought it was just like a, you know, because of the, the housing block that it was coming from, they just thought it was like, oh, you know, neighbours having a, a Barney sort of thing. Um, (laughs) Uh, so they didn't really respond to it, but um, and she like makes it very clear that she uh, she does believe in the, the Candyman, doesn't she? I don't think uh, I'm not sure actually. Just... I th- I think she does, but she also kind of stresses. She's just like you know, I'm just a working mum trying to make the best for my child. But um, yeah, but yeah, I think everyone believes in in the Candyman in that kind of in that housing association. Yeah, but it's unclear whether they think of him as, like, a real person, as we find out a bit later on, or whether it's, like, yeah, the folklore of him. Um, yeah, probably a little bit of, a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. Sure. Um, so, then later, they're in a bar, and they're with, uh, there's Bernadette Helen... Helen's husband, Trevor, and then this very smug... Professor Purcell. Professor Purcell, with his big, fluffy, long hair. Yeah. Um, And he knows more about the candy man. He's very bemused that these two women are researching... So uh, can you read my paper? (laughs) (laughs) And he, uh, he, however, in spite of being very smug, does then go on to tell them quite basic information about the folklore that they didn't already know, which is that uh, the candy man was a real person. Yeah. Uh, who was an artist and the son of a slave, 
And his father, who was a slave, became wealthy by helping to create some sort of system for man- man- manufacturing shoes. Shoes, very specific. Shoes, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the the Candyman, uh, who I don't think was ever given like a human name. No, that's one of the things I read about. Is actually you never find out his real name, which is really weird, given that he has all this like a detail about his history. He's still yeah. just called Candyman. <laughs> well, you never find out the name of the main character in Rebecca, so he's in good company. Wow. Um, the, um, yeah, so he was very, very, a very talented artist and he was sought after by, uh, rich white people who wanted to, him to paint their portraits. Yes. Um, he's commissioned by a man to paint his daughter. Virginal daughter. Virginal daughter. Him and the daughter fall in love and they have a child. Um, the father who is outraged, uh, that his, uh, daughter. Virginal. Virginal daughter. No longer virginal um, daughter. Has uh, is bearing a child from a black man. Orders a lynch mob to lynch, uh, lynch him, cut off his hand, yeah, uh, hand. smother him with honey um, in an apiary, yes, um, so that he's stung yes. to death. And then he's bur- his body is burned, and his ashes were scattered on the site where the uh, housing project was later built. Yes. Um, so that's the origin story of the Candyman. It's very elaborate death. <laughs> yes. I'll chop off one hand and now <laughs> I'll put some honey on you and then the bees and then burn you. <laughs> um, so Helen revisits the uh, Cabrini, Cabrini Greeny. Cabrini Greeny. Um, to take more pictures of the things that she was unable to, specifically the mural. Um, and she meets a little cutie called Jake. Yes. who is a kid from the block, um, and he is, like, eight or something? Six, yeah, a tiny eight. baby. Yeah, he's boy. a tiny belt, tiny boy. Um, and he's super cute, and they hang out. Yeah. <laughs> they become fronds. <laughs> fast fronds. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they go outside, and there's, like, a public toilet block, and uh, Jake tells her that a child was castrated in that public toilet. Yeah. Um, and she says, you wait here for me, I'm going to go in and take a look. Yeah, I don't know what she's expecting him to do exactly. It's not very clear. It's just like, just wait here for some reason. Yeah, to watch my back, little baby. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes in and checks that nobody's in there doing... Occupados. Doing doing weasel poos. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... uh, she, I, I can't remember what, so the, 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 these toilets are gross, they're they like covered in graffiti. an actual, like, poo. It's, it was one of years. It was a lot of years. <laughs> it was all of years. Um, <laughs> and there's like, there's some words, like, kind of smeared in shit on the walls. It's but like, I, I think it's like sweet for my sweet. Or maybe oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. It's like sugar or sweets or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is. And it's, yeah. it looks like shit to me. It, I think it is actually meant to be shit, which is quite disgusting. That, disgusting and she's like holding her nose and she opens each of the three cubicles one at a time yes and the last one is kind of stiff and you and expect it, has, it to have something in it but it, it it doesn't but it just has an arrow pointing down yes into it. and the boy said that when they cut the, the child's penis off penis. uh he put it in the toilet it was found in the toilet yeah so maybe that arrow is like here's it's where the peen yeah <laughs> um, so at this point <laughs> <laughs> Some stinky So it cuts back to outside where Jake is waiting, and you see him being approached by someone in a long dark coat. Yes. Um, and then some kind of late teens, maybe. Yeah. Just and of... also, she's taking pictures of all over the toilet as well. Just, yeah. So, yeah. They go into the toilet and she's like, oh, sorry, you know, I'm done in here. I'm just leaving. And they block her away. One of them yeah. is dressed up as the Candyman and he's holding a hook. Yes, that's um, right. And they kind of punch her and beat her up. Yeah, and they hit, I think they hit her face with the hook, do they? Yeah. And that knocks her out. Um, and when she, so she ends up uh, looking at a police lineup. Yeah. And they get, what is it that he says? Can you remember? They uh, get something like, I'm Candyman, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it is something, and they get them all to step. It's not quite that, but it's something. It definitely ends with bitch. Yeah. <laughs> they get them all to step forward and say it, and she identifies right one. It shows her, and she's got like a really swollen, bruised yeah, giant eyes. eye. 
and she puts on some dark glasses and she pretty much thinks she solved the Candyman. She's like, oh, actually, it was just a kid pretending to be a Candyman. Yeah. He's responsible for all of this, blah, blah, blah. Um, however, <gasps> if only it were that simple. Um, so later in the car parking, car park, car park, car car park. <laughs> later in the parking lot, she is confronted by the real Candyman who uh, oh, yeah. is... Because he's just like going like, Helen, yeah. and she's like, where? Um, and he, they speak to each other quite from quite far away, and he's wearing his kind of iconic fur coat. Oh yeah, and she becomes all like mesmerized and still, and like. Oh, so there's a reason for this. Oh okay. So uh, the director Bernard Rose uh, was kind of trying to avoid the trope of having like a screamy woman. Oh. So every time she might otherwise have screamed, she has he has her kind of go into this kind of, like, trance-like state. Um, uh, so he... he the, the reason he's appeared is because he is angry that she's discrediting his legend. Yes. Um, and that, uh, as a result of that, he must spill some more innocent blood so that uh, his legend continues. Yes. Um, she... After this, she kind of passes out. Yeah. And when she comes around, oh. she's in... A bathtub covered in blood. Yes. Um, and she kind of... bathroom. Yes. And she checks herself and it looks like... But she's wrecked herself. She... <laughs> <laughs> she better check herself. <laughs> I mean, she does really at many points, but um, she uh, she doesn't appear to actually be wounded. She's just got blood on her. Yeah. Like... And she, she looks across and she sees that there's the head of the dog. Yeah. So she's in Anne-Marie's... She suddenly realises ...apartment. She is, yeah. And the dog's been decapitated... And the baby's been stolen. And she yeah. stupidly grabs the knife that she finds. Oh, I fucking hate it so much. She, like, <laughs> sees the knife next to the dog head and picks it up and then walks around with it. <clears throat> so why? Yeah, and Anne-Marie is still in the apartment in the other room and she's, like, hysterical as you yeah, would be. Yeah, she's, like, screaming um, and the cot is, like, full of blood, basically. Oh, yeah. There's blood all over the walls. It's, like, literally so a blood palooza. <laughs> Quite. Yeah. Um... And then uh, she tries to... She obviously, seeing uh, Helen covered in blood, holding the holding knife, knife, obviously yeah. jumps to the very natural conclusion that it was her. Yes. Um, so she tries to kind of fight her back, and then the police come in, yeah. and at that point, Helen is on top of Anne Marie with, with the, the knife. knife. Oh, and she cut her arm as well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so obviously this has been engineered by the Candyman to frame her for it. Oh, what does he like? <laughs> um... So she uh, is bailed out of the prison by her husband, Trevor. Yes. Um, who already seems a little bit pissed off with the whole situation. Yeah, and is this the, for the time... Yeah, this is the time when she calls home on the answer machine and is like trying to get in touch with him and she doesn't pick up. Oh, yeah. And I think this is alluding to his affair. Um, Foreshadowing, you might say. No, I'm never saying that word again. <laughs> uh, yes, so... Um, the Candyman turns up again at her apartment yes. and cuts her on the neck. Yeah. And then she, Bernadette is on her way to visit her. Yes. And she hears her at the door and she's just like, don't come in, don't come in, the Candyman's here. Um, and she comes in anyway and is killed by the Candyman. Yeah. He's nasty. And then obviously once again it looks like Helen was responsible for this. Yeah, the Helen. So Helen is taken to a psychiatric hospital where yeah. she wakes up a month later. We also wait. We miss the fact that um, the baby's not actually dead; it's just missing. Oh yeah. Um, and I don't know where it is, um, but it looks like the baby's dead to begin with. Um, and so that's one of the reasons she gets off the first time is because the baby's just missing and there isn't a body, um, and they don't know what happened. So that's the reason she ends up at home and then giving her the opportunity to then kill Benedict. <laughs> Um, the, uh, but also her husband would have paid bail as well. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so there's a bit before she is put to sleep for a month, she's strapped into a hospital bed and she sees the candy man kind of hovering above her bed Oh yeah. and she's shouting murderer, murderer. And then they come into sedate her and she's like, he's under the bed, he's under the bed. But obviously, mm. uh, they can't see him. So they sedate her and then she comes around a month later which she only finds out a month has passed when she sat in the office with Dr. Burke, who's yes. a psychiatrist who is there to um, to kind of prepare her for the trial. Defense. Yeah, for her defence. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's just like, he shows her a video of when she was restrained on the bed 
and seeing him floating above her and in the video you can't see anyone. Yeah, she's like, it's impossible. Yeah, so she says, I can prove it to you. She's still restrained at this point in the chair and in the office. So I can prove this to you. She turns and faces a mirror that is handily to her side and says, Candyman five times. And then it looks for a moment like nothing's going to get happen. Gonna get happened. <laughs> no. Better get happened. Nothing gets happened. <laughs> but then it well, does something get does happened. Get happened. <laughs> oh, it gets happened, all right. Um, so he done gone get garroted. <laughs> he got happened. <laughs> um, so he uh, he all of a sudden kind of convulses, and the Candyman appears behind him and has put a hook through him from behind. Yeah. Um, then the Candyman jumps out of the window and people are rushing towards the office because he's like called for help or something I don't know oh no but before he before he jumps out the window he cuts cuts her restraints oh yeah. so it looks like she's free yeah and that she could have done the murder so she takes seizes this opportunity to climb out of the window that he smashed through and kind of shimmy along the balcony yeah and climb in a different uh, like a ward where she uh, knocks out a woman like a nurse and takes her nurse outfit to escape. Right. So then she goes back to her. Uh, does she? I think. Yeah. yeah I think so she goes home. Is the apartment. So yeah. she goes back to her house, still wearing the scrubs that she's stolen from Nursey. Yeah. And uh, and the house is being painted a really sickly pink, <laughs> like girly pink, like fluorescenty, gross pink. Yeah. Um, and this is where she bumps into lover Stacy, who is one of Trevor's students. Yes, and I think that there was a like she kind of references Stacy a little bit in the film. So I see that girl looking at you, and she's oh, yeah. like, uh, "I didn't be talking about they all love me." Um, <laughs> everyone fancies everyone me. Everyone fancies me. I'm so sexy. <laughs> He's really not. Um, and anyway, so she's like, "Oh my God, Trevor!" And he comes, but he's like, he says something really gross, like. Hey, honey, boo boo cakes. Or something like really <laughs> sick thing. Like, and then he spots Alan. Yeah. And then oh, his no. honey, boo boo cakes is over. <laughs> honey, oh, no cake. Um, and he's just like, I think we need to call the hospital. Yeah. We need to get you back to the hospital. And she confronts him about it. Um, and then. Yeah, she says, like, What's the matter, Trevor? Scared of something? Um, which comes up later in the film. And then she leaves. Yeah. And she goes back to uh, Cabrini Green yeah. to try and rescue Anthony and to confront uh, the Candyman. Yeah. She wants to give him a piece of her mind. So she goes back in to... <laughs> I'm going to give you what for. <laughs> um, so, and then nothing gone, done gone happened in gone. <laughs> um, uh, so she goes back to the, the room with the mural... And uh, she, he appears again with the baby and says that in order for the baby to be safe, she needs to kind of surrender to him, hand herself over to him. Um, and he opens up his coat and yeah. there's like bees coming from his ribs. Yeah, she's like, he's like, be my victim. It's very um, sensual. And then, so they do a, like a bee kiss where he's got a mouth full of bees. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And it's very sexy. Um, <laughs> and uh, so apparently, I couldn't really make us make this make sense. So they kind of k- do like a kissy sort of thing. Yeah. And all of the bees go from his mouth into hers. And all over her face. Yeah. And apparently, he was face. he was wearing... So, so these were the non-stinging bees. Yeah. But even so, you obviously so didn't want a mouthful of them. So he was wearing some like kind of like internal mouth kind of cavernous guard thing. Mouth condom. Yeah. <laughs> And they had to, like, kind of... I guess they put something in there to attract the bees. And apparently it took, like, 20 minutes for the bees just to get into his mouth. Do you think they just put them in the, the mouth condom and then put it in his mouth? It just rather than him awake. Well, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not they're, they're not inanimate objects. Like, they fly around. <laughs> you can touch bees, just squish them in. <laughs> Maybe the bee handler wouldn't have been handling that very well. No. <laughs> um, they, so, they, he does the bee kiss... And then he disappears with the baby. And she sees now that there's a mural of him with a white woman lover, who, oh, who is yeah. the, his, the original lover that he had. Yeah, because he says, it's always been you, Helen. Yes. And this woman that he had the child with originally looks very much like ah, uh, Helen. Yeah. And there's this idea that she's in some way kind of like a reincarnation of the original uh, white woman. Um, so uh, then there's the bonfire... 
Oh, yes. So they, uh, what are they burning? It's just like loads of like wood and furniture and tat. Um, it's like a giant like pyre, basically full of rubbish. What's the point of it? Like it's. To... They say he, they, like um, Jake, uh, the little boy, references it earlier on because she notices it and says like, "What's the bonfire for?" And he just says, "It's for the celebration." But there's no information about what the celebration is or why. <laughs> but it's kind of like an anti Candyman burning, though, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's what it's meant to be. Actually, you're right. Um, however. Just to foil this somewhat, um, the uh, so Helen comes out of the uh, apartments and sees She's, it's still got the claw in her hand, the, the handyman hook as well. Anyway. Oh, is she? Yeah, she gets it from the Candyman um, because she's like climbing like all the rubbish using it. Weirdly. Yeah, because <laughs> the Candyman has placed Anthony the baby on the top of the bonfire or kind of in the bonfire. In the bonfire. Yeah. Um, so she goes to try and rescue the baby. Yeah. Uh, the Candyman also appears in there as well. Yeah. And then uh, all of the people from the housing project come out to light the bonfire. Yeah, I can't figure <clears> out whether they, they sort of like, they realise who's in there or like whether they think the Handyman's there already or whether it's just like incidental. That they're... Yeah, I can't really remember. Uh, uh, yeah. But anyway, <clears throat> but anyway, they then, I, I, the, so Anna Marie, Anne Marie rather, hears the baby crying. Yes. And then realises that Helen is in there trying to save uh, the baby. Because obviously, at this point, they all think that she is equally as murderous as the Candyman because uh, because of her uh, seemingly attacking... Well, yeah, they definitely blame her primarily. Um, So she's seen climbing out of this. She has a bit of a fight, a bit of a scuffle, a a to-do with the Candyman. And yeah, and then he gets squished under, like, well, or trapped, I think, in, like, burning, like, logs. And she, like, gets the baby and wraps it up and then just sort of, like, like climbs out um, and uh, ends up a little bit crispy. <laughs> yeah, so she kind of crawls out and she's got, um, like, all of her hair and scalp have been, like... Yeah, like, there's burned. a really, like, funny bit with, like, the wig on fire. Like, and then all of a sudden all her hair's gone. <laughs> yeah, and she's got, like, a, a big red raw scalp. Yeah. Um and uh, kind of in her dying moment, she's kind of, her arms are outstretched and Anne-Marie takes the... The babby. The babby. Um, and then uh, cut ahead to her funeral. Yes. So she's died from yes. uh, her injuries in the fire. And at first, the uh, there are only like three or four people at One the funeral. One of them is Professor Purcell. Yeah, with this his is, horrible hair. Yeah, joking that he'd be like throwing his thesis in out of her coffin. I bet you wish you'd rent hell, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you feel rather stupid now, don't you? <laughs> um, and they're, they're kind of just looking very forlorn at the funeral. Yeah, um, Stacey's there as well, which I think... Yeah, that's in poor taste, yeah. yeah. She shouldn't be um, and then, just as uh, the coffin's about to be lowered, uh, you see a big crowd of all of the residents from the Cabrini Green housing block, yeah. uh, led by Anne-Marie yeah, holding the baby and Jake. And, Jake. and uh, yeah, it's it's a very nice Jake. moment in the film where yeah. they kind of obviously now realise that she was trying to help at yeah. all. Um, so they come and they... Uh, Jake has the claw, yes, the hook, <clears throat> and he drops it in the, uh, like, in the ground with yeah. the coffin. Um so that's a nice moment. Yeah. And then the final scene. Yes. <clears throat> uh, Trevor, who is still with Stacy in their disgusting pink Stacey. apartment, um, is in the bathroom. And Helen's just like, I Trevor, I'm making steak. Come and help make the salad. Yeah. <clears throat> just like really wanging on. And then like she gets like, the meat out of the fridge. She starts slopping it around. Yeah, she like, like slaps it. Yeah. Stinking Trevor. And grieving it... after a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> and he's in his bathroom and he looks in the mirror and he's kind of like mournfully saying, Helen, Helen, Helen. And he says it five times. <laughs> and then he switches the light out or the light just goes off. I think he switches it out like halfway through saying the, the Helen's. Mm. Um, and then she appears looking iconic, like all pale, like actually you see what she looks like because they do like the makeover for her, you see her in the casket very briefly. 
Um, and then she looks like that. She's got like a full face of makeup, but also like a a snatched weave. <laughs> um, like, yeah, uh, snatched, bald, scalped. Yeah, um. and also burned. Um, and she then says the same line that she said when she escaped from the hospital. It's like, what's the matter, Trevor? Scared of something? Um, and yeah, then garrots him. Yes. And then Stacy discovers him kind of lying in the bath, all yeah. covered in blood and guts everywhere. Yeah, what... Does anything... She's got, like, the knife in her hand, and I wondered whether that was going to... It was kind of like a cycle where now she's going to look like she's done this. Yeah. Um, um, you also notice that the apartment is finished, and it's all that disgusting pink, and, like, yeah. Stacey's put a giant paperclip on the wall oh, as a yeah, decoration. It's, it's that's the word. Disgusting. That's disgusting. <laughs> um, and then roll credits. Yeah, and that's the movie, really. That is the movie. <laughs> So, in terms of representation in this film, uh, women? Um, well, the women are talking about things that aren't men. Um, well, Candy Man is a man, I suppose. It's different, so though. It's, they yeah, talk about so the murderer. They're never searches. <laughs> and, and they're, like, you know, they're, Just... like, established professionals. So, um, yeah, they're talking about folklore. Um, so, yeah, it definitely passes Bechdel test. Um, the women... I mean, obviously, like, Helen's storyline, um, she's strong all the way through, really, maybe a little bit kind of negligently so at the beginning, but, um, and then she becomes obviously a monster in her own right in a kind of, like, powerful, cool way at the end with her own catchphrase. Mm. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, I think the best characters are all women. I think Anne-Marie McCoy, the neighbour, is probably the best character, like, properly best character. Yeah. Um, she is like a loving mother um, and she kind of tries to fight off what she perceives as the threat which is the white woman who at that point is the threat because she's coming towards her with a knife (laughs) Um, and she also like has obviously a huge capacity for forgiveness but also um, like sees what's happening and understands that she was actually trying to save her and she kind of leads the procession towards her funeral at the end. Yes, um, that's true, yeah. So I think, um, I think it's mostly fine. I think where it becomes difficult is when we think about it, how it intersects with the representation of people of colour. And this is more loaded. Like, the film is very... It feels like more of a, like, social issues uh, horror film than yeah, lots of other ones. Absolutely. Um, and for the most part, I think it's kind of successful. But yeah, there and... are problems. Yeah, so I think uh, maybe we'll mix up what the problems and the good things are. Uh, but I think that the fact that the, the Candyman is a black man is quite cool. Like, you don't really get that many kind of, like, black leading monsters or villains in, Yeah, unless uh, it's like... Films. Yeah, unless it's more of like a kind of thrillery like, oh, the threat is the kind of evil black man and the innocent white woman. Yeah, and that <clears> was uh, one of the criticisms that I thought was that... Um, it's just like shows that kind of white woman in peril against like a sort of a demonic black man who's like some sort of supernatural monster. It, which I see, but I also feel like as a as the kind of monster of the film, he's much more sympathetic than someone like Freddy Krueger, for example, because they both have a similar story in that they were killed by like kind of a mob, and they're both coming back seeking some sort of revenge. However, the Freddy Krueger was killed by a vigilante mob who were killing him because he had uh, had killed children. Yeah, which is fair um, enough. <laughs> the Candyman didn't do anything wrong yeah. and was killed by a racist mob. And um, it was essentially <clears throat> lynched, yeah. I mean, the problem is then that he's kind of... If we're to believe that he is responsible for killing the people who were killed and not the... The guy that's kind of dressed up as him, pretending to be him, that's arrested earlier. Yeah. Then why is he targeting black people? Although he is targeting people who live in the block that was built oh, where his, his ashes, ashes were scattered. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, he he's a much more sympathetic lead character yeah. than someone like Freddy Krueger. And I guess the and also is it that it's a it's not really a, a, a white woman kind of in peril because of a black man. It's actually, I mean, it is, but it's also like, uh, he is, he kind of loves her because yeah. he sees her as the woman that he, um, there's, it, there's a yeah, tenderness. It, it, does, between... it does feel like a kind of romantic relationship as well as yeah. a gruesome, monstrous one. <laughs> yeah. He also doesn't kill the baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he actually doesn't, 
hurt her actually specifically really does he? I mean he cuts her no he does cut her neck at one point yeah but who hasn't done a bit of neck, <laughs> bit of neck cutting oh, um, shave <laughs> and he um, yeah I mean I guess the, the problem is that we're seeing there's an element of kind of like poverty porn about it I think yes um, which is that the because obviously the issues of race and class completely intersect in this film and the uh, the we're seeing this kind of like these like kind of poor black people living in the, this kind of derelict, notoriously grim housing blocks that actually exist, which I think it's, is problematic. It's strange that <clears> they <throat> would use like an actual real place. Yes, I think it's and weird. The same name, <clears throat> like I don't really. Yeah, it's like because if you think about it, you know, at the beginning of Twenty Eight Days Later, mm. very close to the beginning anyway, when he's in that tower block and they all like run up the stairs, all the zombies. Right. That tower block is Balfron Tower. Um, oh. and but they don't call it Balfron Tower they don't and you know there's suppo- lots of people have read into it about like kind of um, these kind of like uh, kind of brutalist tower blocks being like a symbol of some sort of utopia but they, they actually kind of come to represent a dystopia because they're not uh, they're not like invested in enough and the people aren't valued enough there right. so there's kind of this idea about these this kind of sight of these kind of rage induced zombies kind of attacking mm. in this but it's fine to use the building but not to name it. Like, if they called it the Balfron Tower, yeah, yeah, and it yeah. was filmed at a time when people were still living there as social housing residents, that would be, that would be unthinkable. But they've done it here. They've used... Because they actually shot and the scenes in that building, in yeah, that actual building. And I wonder whether it was the way... I mean, I don't know if it was that intelligent, but a way of, like, highlighting the social issues in that block using the film. Um, but, I mean, they didn't do it very in-depth or very... Uh, well, uh, and, and also, like, because the, the real uh, Ruth... Uh, oh, I've forgotten her name. Ruth May um, was uh, she was from a different housing block in Chicago. So they could very easily have just used like a sort of like an archetypal fictional building that yeah, represented yeah. those issues without it being. Because imagine being a resident in that housing block or even in that local area after that film was made. Yeah, um, no, definitely. It just it does feel like poverty porn, and especially since we see it through the eyes of the lead character, who is a white woman. Yeah. I wonder and as well if she's kind of... Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, like, the whole place looks, like, apocalyptic, essentially. <clears throat> yeah. And it's only, like, when she goes inside um, Anne-Marie's ha- <laughs> house um, that she sees this sort of, like, nice side to it. And she, like, <clears throat> Anne-Marie talks about how, like, there are people living here and, like, this is a real place and, like... But um, but the rest of the place looks like you know like kind of... I, I do think it has its moments where it's trying to be very sympathetic to the people that live there. Yeah. But um. But yeah, we're seeing it from a white writer and director's perspective. Yeah. We we're introduced to it through a white character, but maybe it's also a bit self-aware because of the inclusion of Bernadette, the friend, who's very like. This is a bit dodgy. Someone was murdered here. People live here. We shouldn't be you know rifling around. She's yeah. kind of reminding us that it's. I don't know. Again, maybe it's not that clever. Yeah. Um, yeah, and actually speaking of Bernadette, I like I, I struggle with knowing whether she's actually, whether she passes uh, the Devoney test. Well, I mean, you have one character that uh, like, uh, definitely does, who's Anne-Marie, but... Um, and also whether, whether she sort of falls into the black best friend trope. She seems kind of like... You can't tell whether the project is meant to be both of theirs or whether yeah. she's just, like, the help, essentially. Yeah, I, I, I got the impression that they were co-writing it. Yeah, but it um, felt like she was in a more, like, subservient kind of oh, yeah, role. Yeah. Um, and also didn't really have much say in the methods that they were using to research because she didn't want to go and yeah. look around the building. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just seems, it, and, you know, it's sort of a bit, prob- it just seems like there's some sort of, like, problematic elements with the fact that, obviously, there's the, the black cleaners in the school who, um, are just, like, in the background being helpers, and then, like, um, I don't know. And, and also, you know, also, the way she kind of is quite dismissive of their, like, oh, these, these women who believe in this ridiculous folklore. Yeah, and also, like, you never hear anything about Bernadette's life or anything outside yeah, of it. Yeah, Like, you just, you just see her appearing. And so, like, you don't know whether she... Yeah, it just seems like she's someone who's driving the, the white woman's plot along. Yeah, I mean, I do think whether or not she is... I mean, I think she probably does fall into the kind of black best friend role. But even aside from that, she's definitely just a device. And I think yes. it's to make us feel less guilty about 
just the white woman going and doing all this because she's got a, a so sidekick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, if, I mean, I, I mean in t- like, so um, the, at the time it was made, the NAACP had no problems with it. Jordan Peele, it was like a huge influence on him because it was yeah. a film that was both about kind of uh, racism and social issues. It referenced slavery and it's kind of like a schlocky horror film at the same time. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I don't think it's a, it's like a complete miss, but I think it would be made differently now. Absolutely. And it will be because it's got a predominantly black cast, mm. which I mean, it does anyway, but it's not necessarily the, the leads. Uh, and it's, you know, it's produced by uh, a black man. I, I'm not sure what the rest of the, the team look like, but... Yeah, but you'd hope with Jordan Peele involved that it would just be a lot more kind of like, yeah, on the right side of things. Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be great. I'm really excited for it. Yeah. Um, in terms of queer representation... Uh, zero. Zero. Um, and also there doesn't have to be like no, not no, every no. film needs to have queer representation I mean I, I, I did, it's funny because I don't know whether I'm just like being overly ridiculous but the bit where um, uh, you find out that the little boy was like, had his penis chopped off um, uh, Jake says there's no point in living if you yeah. don't have a penis um, I did find that a little bit like like borderline transphobic I mean it's not but it just it just made me feel a bit icky well yeah, I, well, yes, but also, like, you can see that, like, uh, a boy that was perhaps being raised in quite a macho environment would definitely think that... Oh, yeah, no, for like, sure, but it made me, cr- like, feel a bit uncomfortable, like, cringy, but, um, but yeah, that was just, like, on me, as maybe. Um, and there, yeah, there's no other... I mean, Bernadette could be queer, we know nothing about her. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she could be some massive les. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is very true. <laughs> Shall we do the awards ceremony? For sure. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember. Uh, d- I have no clue. Let's just do it. Okay, so, favourite character? Um, so, my favourite character we meet uh, the first time around when they visit uh, the apartment the, the apartment where she was killed. What was her name? Ruthie Jean. Or was that the real name? Uh, good God. Uh, uh, yeah, um, Ruthie Jean. Yeah. Um, and Bernadette refuses to go through the hole in the wall. Um, and she sits down on the toilet waiting. And she looks down the side and there's a little dirty doll that's all covered in mud. And uh, that little dirty doll is my favourite character. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Uh, spoopiest moment. Uh, well, I, I think it's sort of the... Um, when she wakes up and she's covered in blood and she hears, like, the blood-curdling screams of, like, the mother who thinks her baby's dead and the dog's obviously been decapitated. Um, and I think her screaming and her sort of, like, kind of panic was, like, excellent acting and just kind of, like, yeah, like, really terrifying. I feel like maybe... And it's just... I mean, it's not necessarily, like, kind of spooky, but it's a, a kind of trope in horror films that I think works very well, but it always, I think it's one of the things that makes me most ang- anxious as a viewer. And it's where someone is being framed for something and nobody believes them. Yeah. Um, it really... Have you seen The Hitcher? No. Uh, so it's a, it's about Hitchhiker and he's like killing people but like the main character is always in the play, in the, on the scene when the murder happens and nobody believes that it's not him doing it and stuff. And it, I think like it really makes me anxious and this is a very classic example of that. Uh, what do you think is the lols bit? <laughs> it's the funniest thing. Uh, <laughs> for some reason this movie lol is just like when you see the little baby what's his name? Anthony. Um, in uh, Candyman's lair, and um, Candyman's like looking over him, and then just like starts fingering the baby's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> um, my favourite bit, which you alluded to, is when uh, Jake is telling uh, Helen about the uh, castrated child, and he says they found it floating in the toilet. Can't fix that. Better off dead. <laughs> uh, what do you think is the best death? Um, I just love it when she comes back from the dead and, like, garrots the husband. It's just, like, so fun. And, like, and again, when she uses a catchphrase and she just looks iconic, that's, like, my favourite. Uh, my favourite is also her death, but the actual death part where she cr- kind of crawls out of the fire with the baby and you see her oh. kind of scalped for the first time. That's well, cool. hilariously, I put that as my worst death. Because Did you? I don't like the fact that she dies. And also, like... The but then she wouldn't have that iconic comeback. That's true. You can't have it all. That's fair. 
Okay. <laughs> do, do you have a worse? I, I do have a worse. It's the first one where you just see the blood dripping through the ceiling. It's like, okay. why was the ceiling immediately pierced after she was stabbed? <laughs> like, oh yes, I have been meaning to get that fixed. Yeah, especially in a bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a queerest moment? I mean, this is a stretch, but um, <laughs> I, I did. I did uh, find it hilarious when uh, she summons Candyman to the therapist's office, um, and then suddenly appears from behind and garrots him. Uh, I just thought that was uh, vaguely queer, but uh, but it's really not. <laughs> and I have a feeling we might have had the have got the same sexiest character. Well, it's Cat Candyman. It is Candyman. <laughs> he is the sexiest. Um, yeah, he's also like, um, like he's got a very like beautiful face. Like yeah. he's very like kind of like um, like delicate and yeah. like almost like quite like I don't know like feminine kind of. I just think he's beautiful. Yeah, and he's like quite seductive with <laughs> the way he speaks to Helen. He always it's a little bit like mm, like when he's like be my victim. I'm like yes, yes please. <laughs> As long as I can have your beautiful fur-trimmed coat. Yeah, and it's only actually the first time... Show me your bloody stump. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The first time uh, she, like, Helen sees Candyman, like, after he's been going, Helen, (laughs) Helen, he goes, Helen. I came for you. Yeah, he um once again he beats uh, Freddy Krueger in terms of a sexy lead. Oh yeah, gosh. <laughs> Freddy is not sexy. Um, yeah, agreed. Um, and that's the end of the awards. <laughs> so this one in terms of pumpkins, um, what are we thinking? Uh... Uh, I would give Candyman four out of five pumpkins. Good. Um, I think it's. I think it's just a brilliant standalone film, anyway. Yeah. Um, and like, it's kind of like I. I think if you're into true crime and you're mm. into uh, slashes and you're into kind of spooky bits and you're into the kind of campery of Clive Barker aesthetic-y sort of things, then I think this does all of that. Ticks um, all of Sean's boxes. It ticks all of my pumpkins. Well, it ticks four out of five pumpkins. Tickles my pumpkins. <laughs> four out of five pumpkins can agree this is a great film. <laughs> what would you give it? Yeah, I think four as well, actually. Um, it is really strong. And it, it, I think it really um, is going to be really exciting that they have the reboot, actually. Oh, because, yeah, I can't wait. Because I think that um, it really it works. Um, it still works currently. I mean, obviously, it's a little... I don't think that they would do the same thing with the Cabrini Green and all of the setting it on real people in real places. Well, but they will be doing the... I think it will still be related to Cabrini Green, though. That is because the baby from Anthony is going to be the lead... I think it follows his story as an yeah, adult. Yeah, so that is interesting, actually, because they can't get away from that, really. Unless they just don't I mean, I guess you could be much. living somewhere else, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. and I guess um, if I was being harsh, I'd, I'd knock a pumpkin off for the kind of laziness <laughs> and the the kind of the cruelty of using real-life stories, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if I wasn't doing that and I was just going on the rompery, yeah. Um, then, yeah, it would just be, yeah, the four pumpkins. Because it's, it's, it's a very enjoyable film, and you wouldn't know necessarily about that by yeah. story. And also, I think it's it's it hasn't dated badly. I think it stands the test of time as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, now time for uh, the spoopy bit. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, here we go. Um, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the true story of flatmates who salvaged a haunted mirror from a tip and then got rid of it on eBay. I, I remember reading this, actually. It's, it's quite a chilling, hilarious tale. Mm, no <laughs> uh, So, uh, the two flatmates, who are actually referred to as a couple in a different story that I read, um, so who knows what's true. It could be gay erasure, or it could be gay supposure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the name, the name of the two is uh, Satyrus... Charolambus, who was a painter, and Joseph Birch, the student. Um, and uh, they acquired the antique mirror from uh, their landlord, who put it in a skip outside of their flat in Muswell Hill in 2013. Um, as soon as they brought it into the flat, they started experiencing bad luck, misery, financial problems, and illness. 
Sounds like a sort of symptoms uh, list. <laughs> Sounds uh, like maybe they were just unwell. Yeah. <laughs> Probably um, carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, specifically, they had things like leg cramps, um, things going missing, um, a sense of impending doom. Same, I yeah, mean. <laughs> um, they said that actually... Maybe we've got a haunted mirror. Maybe. In, which is the haunted mirror? <laughs> Zap one, smash it. <laughs> Um, so apparently things actually got worse after they... Worse even than an aching leg? I know. Um, (laughs) can you even? Um, so after they painted the walnut mirror, uh, with a metallic silver paint, um, and, uh, they started uh, suffering intense nightmares, um, and also, like I said, their problems escalated. (laughs) Um... So, and also, like, it's weird because it's like a beautiful antique, like, mirror, and then just like, tacky <clears throat> yeah. silver. I'd be annoyed if I was a haunted mirror. Yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> like, not everything needs to be upcycled, you fucking yeah, hipsters. <laughs> sure. it's like, the metallic silver paint does sound, well, it could be bachelor pad, but it also sounds a bit gay. Um, so. There's, there's a thin line. Yeah, who knows? Um, so Joseph, uh, went on to say, um, since the mirror was put up, everything has gone wrong. Um, a few days after the mirror was up, me and my flatmate were woken early morning uh, with uh, screaming and pain. Um, and that pain was described as intense, sharp, stabbing wait, pains. Wait, they were woken by screaming? or they Their were, own screaming. Oh, they woke screaming? Yes. Okay. And uh, from stabbing I was pain. I was woken by intense woken screaming, by screaming. And it was me. And also it me. Uh, <laughs> But also uh, sharp stabbing pains, which if they are a couple. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) And it says that he says they would strike us both at the same time and then disappear as fast as they came. (laughs) (laughs) Were they sharing a bed? Well, it doesn't say, uh, but yeah. Um, And... uh, yeah, they said originally we thought someone was performing some kind of voodoo or black magic on oh, us. Oh, that seems like the logical explanation. Um, but the mirror gives us the creeps and we started seeing strange shadows in it. Scary. Mm. Um, Joseph uh, says that the shadows included flickering shadows. <gasps> that flat flavour of shadows. <laughs> glimpses of black darkness. Not black darkness. I know, the worst. <laughs> Sounds bad. Um, and orbs of light in the room through the mirror. Um, Sitaris then pipes up um, and he says um, I think someone could have been murdered in front of this mirror and that's why it's been haunting our house um, Did they ask the landlord? <clears throat> well apparently they tried to return to the landlord and he said he didn't want anything to do with that Well you wouldn't if you just already thrown it in the bin just like okay now that you've ruined this <laughs> mirror with metallic silver paint now I'll have it back um, <laughs> Hi we th- saw this in the bin that you put there and, and thought of you. <laughs> Surprise! That's disgusting painted mirror back. Um, so then they were like, oh, we need to get rid of it. Let's put it on eBay, babes. Um, so then they put it on eBay. That's um, so cheap. Like, they didn't even pay for it. Just I put know. it back in the bin. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, well, I think what he says is that he was hoping that somebody who knew how to handle supernatural... Oh, did uh, they advertise it as a supernatural Well, mirror? this is the thing, yes. And this is, like, why it's all a bit iffy. Um, so um, they put it on the mirror... Uh, oh, on the mirror. On the e- on eBay for £100. Um, and they... He was says, it called, like, a haunted mirror? Yeah. Um, and they included uh, the story of how scary it was, um, described it as a beautiful grand Victorian-style mirror. Uh, apparently he got it uh, valued by um, an antiques dealer, which I just I don't understand, um, and that's where the £100 figure came from. I just can't believe that a mirror, no matter how much it was worth, once it had been painted with metallic paint, <laughs> would still be valued at £100. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Uh, they they put it up there. They got lots of inquiries. Um, they, uh, excuse me, uh, seller, uh, kinky boy sixty nine. How haunted <laughs> on, on a scale? scale. <laughs> <laughs> they also put on the thing that they they said that they put the mirror in the pride of place above the radiator, and shortly after the radiator stopped working. Um, All of this sounds like things they should be talking to their landlord about. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Maybe could... all of this is just a really passive-aggressive dig at their landlord, who just obviously wasn't looking after his tenants well enough. It's funny, actually, because, yeah, Joseph says that he's like, 
His anxiety levels went through the roof and he was prescribed antidepressants by the doctor for the first time in his life. It's like, oh, oh babe. <clears throat> not the last time if you're a gay. But yeah, so they put it up on eBay and uh, they included pictures of the scratches that Joseph had received in the night from unseen fingers. Um, <laughs> They're the worst fingers. <laughs> the haunted unseen fingers. Um, and pictures of the mirrors, including supposed orbs, which just look like a reflection of a flash to me. Um, wow. And, um, and then, yeah, it sold. Uh, and so they got rid of it. And so they were, they were best off without. I hope he's off his antidepressants now. Yeah, same. But, but sending warm wishes to Joseph from Muswell Hill. Yes, I wonder if they still live in that house. I don't know. That's yeah. why Dennis Nielsen murdered all them people. Yeah, mm. there's a lot going on in that area, yeah, isn't it? It's busy. For gays. For gays. <laughs> or not gays. <laughs> or su- supposable gays. But, uh, but yes, the reason I chose this is because we'd already, cho- we'd already spoken about Bloody Mary, which is the inspiration for Candyman, but I wanted another... Haunted mirror, mirror story. story. And so that's the, the spooky story of the week. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> if you're enjoying Bloody Marys, please subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends.